Well, you could go ahead and turn to John chapter 6. We're continuing in the series in John uh, that you have been in, and uh, I have the privilege of jumping into and being part of. Uh, you, you probably heard I have an Irish last name. I am proud to be Irish. I'm 100% Irish in my own mind. However, my mother is actually 100% Italian, so that makes me both 100% Italian and 100% Irish. Don't worry about the math. It's just true. It just so happens that I'm both. Um, well, my mom is not actually, she's not just Italian. She's like legit Italian. She's Sicilian, okay, which is a unique breed of being Italian. Now, as a Sicilian, that means that her DNA has been specially infused with this innate ability to cook amazingly well. Like, I mean, I'm talking top of the shelf, could be anywhere in New York City making millions of dollars cooking the food that she cooks. And I've had the benefit of that for my entire life until I got married. And my wife, uh, although not Italian, is also a wonderful cook. But the crowning grace of my mother's cooking, the, the, uh, the, the pinnacle of all of her culinary delights are her homemade raviolis. Every Christmas she makes homemade raviolis, enough to feed our family. And there's about 27 people all packed together in our house. And she makes enough raviolis for all of them. And, and I can tell you, I look forward to those raviolis, to that meal like you cannot imagine. I mean, I start... Some people count down the days to Christmas or kids count down the days to the end of school. I, I count the days until ravioli meal. It is just like amazing to me. It is, it is beyond, it is beyond delicious. So within five minutes of arriving at their home, when we, when we get there for Christmas break and for the, the time to, to be there at Christmas, I'm, I'm hunting for raviolis. I'm pushing people out of the way. I'm neglecting my wife and my children. I don't care about unloading the car. I just got to get my eyes on these raviolis to be sure that they are in the house, that they are on the premises. And, you know, you make the raviolis and you freeze them. So I'm usually standing in front of the, the freezer just ogling these amazing cheese-filled pockets of splendidness. Just so delighted and looking forward to raviolis, basking in the glow of their doughy presence. (laughs) Lord, how good you have been to me to give me a mother who cooks amazing raviolis. I mean, these are the real deal, okay? These raviolis are not Chef Boyardee. They're not what you get at Olive Garden. Okay, these are like, one of them is as big as your head, okay? Like, you can, the, the average person in my family eats like six, maybe, at the most. My wife, she's pretty good. She can eat like 10. I have been known to eat like upwards of 20 to 21, okay? These, that, is, that is how much I look forward to the ravioli meal. And then we eat this meal, and other people fill themselves up on salad and bread, just amateurs. I'm just like, I know I'm not supposed to be self-righteous, but I'm like looking at them like, you idiots. What are you doing? These, these raviolis in front of us. So I, I eat, and I, and I get my fill, and then I'm, I'm satisfied, and then I go into a ravioli coma for the rest of the day. Now, I use this illustration to, to highlight something. It reveals something about the heart, my heart. And I'm not just talking about my idolatry of raviolis, which maybe uh, the good doctor can cure me of later today. <laughs> Our hearts desire satisfaction, do we not? We are hungry people who want to be satisfied. We search it out. We look for satisfaction. We hunt high and low to be satisfied. We feed ourselves with things like sex, money, stuff, material goods, power, ease, 
food, relationships, sports, you name it. The list goes on all in an attempt to be satisfied. In fact, we're actually hardwired for satisfaction. Now, our problem is that due to our sinful inclinations, we use what is around us to satisfy self apart from God. We long for the gifts of God, but we reject the giver himself. Now, raviolis probably are not high on your list this morning, but no doubt there are things that you desire. There are situations in your life that you would like to see changed. Prayer requests that you want to be answered. Perhaps even deep internal longings that, that are before you and have been before you for some time. What is it for you this morning? What is it that you think will satisfy you this morning? What is the thing that you want that you say, if I, if I could just have that? Is it as simple as new clothes, a change of job? Maybe you got a call in the last month from the doctor and you need healing or a family member needs healing. Maybe you want a spouse or children and you've been waiting and you've been waiting and you wonder if the Lord hears your prayers. Maybe you want freedom. Maybe you want independence. Maybe you want to be out on your own. I can identify with that as a young man that would be would have been an idol for me, the desire to be my own boss. Or perhaps it's just some rest. Maybe this life just feels like it's one thing after another and you just, you just want a vacation. You just, want to, you just want to take it easy, check out for some time. See, we have desires and many are good. Many are God-given desires. God, God actually does not want us to desire less. This is not a, a message about desiring less, craving less wanting less. No, actually God desires us to want more. He wants us to desire satisfaction more deeply. God desires us to pursue satisfaction, true satisfaction, but he doesn't want us to be misled. See, circumstantial upgrades will not satisfy us. Deep soul content is not found anywhere but in him. So today, as we're continuing in John chapter 6, which addresses the question of satisfaction, Jesus here makes bold claims about his own nature and his ministry to us. We all have needs. We all have desires for which we seek satisfaction. We are a hungry people. And this passage teaches us, this is the main point, this is the proposition point, that only Jesus satisfies and life is found in trusting him alone. Only Jesus satisfies and life is found in trusting him alone. Let's read God's word together, starting in John chapter 6, verse 22. We're going to read through verse 40. This is the English Standard Version of God's holy word. Hear his word. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. 
Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father, who, my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All that the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Only Jesus satisfies and life is found in trusting in him alone. Let's pray together. Our Lord God, you have been gracious and kind to us. You have already met with us, Lord. You are, you are here. You are present. We, we need not wonder or question whether or not you are here in this place to, to minister to your people, to lead your people, to guide your people, to feed your people. Jesus, you are the shepherd who is here to preach to each and every heart that is in this room. And you are here for our good and for our benefit, but ultimately for your glory, that your name would be lifted up and that your character would be revealed. We are desperately needy. We cannot lead ourselves to life. We need you, O oh God. So Jesus, as you preach, we pray, we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to speak your words through me and my fallible lips, Lord, into each and every one of our hearts that we might be affected and that our hearts would be satisfied in Jesus and Jesus alone. And that we would leave this place today more affected by how soul-satisfying Jesus Christ is and what he has done for us on the cross and what he continues to do to us as he reigns over us as our king and our shepherd. And we pray that you, O oh God, receive all the glory in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, there are two points that we're going to look at today. The first is this. Do not be satisfied with the perishing food of this world. Do not be satisfied with the perishing food of this world. Just a little bit of a review here. Jesus has just done the impossible. He fed 5,000 people with a few scraps of bread and some fish. Multiplying food. That's what Jesus has just done. And, and he has displayed his totally other nature. He is somebody totally different walking among the people. Then he takes off for a mountain retreat and the disciples go sailing from Tiberias to Capernaum at the north end of the Sea of Galilee. Now, they were about halfway through their seven-mile trip uh, if they went in a straight line. And the wind was blowing that day. It was, a, it was, a, it was a, a, a brutal day to be out on the sea sailing. Now, the storm was heavy and they were probably exhausted. If you were here last week, Larry talked about that a bit. They were probably pretty tired from rowing and they, they probably felt like they weren't making much progress. And, and then Jesus comes to them. 
he comes to them and he speaks tenderly. He disarms them. He tells them, don't have any fear. And he gets into the boat with them. He, he enters their boat. He enters their place of fear and, and calms them and goes with them as his disciples. And then miraculously gets them to their de- destination in an instant. Clearly, this is no mere man. Jesus is totally other. He is the master over nature, over time, and he is a caring shepherd. Now, the next morning, the crowds wake up from their bread and fish coma, much like I wake up from my ravioli ravioli coma, and, and they start looking around for Jesus, but he's nowhere to be found. They just know that the disciples took the one boat that was there the night before from uh, to Tiberias, but, but Jesus wasn't with them. They, they, they want the man who had fed them, and they're saying, okay, so when some more boats come by... Jesus is probably going to catch up to his disciples. Let's get in those boats and we'll go where we know that the, uh, that, that the boats went from, you know, they came from Tiberias and they went to Capernaum. Let's, let's follow after the disciples and hopefully we'll find Jesus. And who knows, maybe we'll get ourselves another meal out of the deal. So the crowd gets to the other side and they find Jesus. We learn later in verse 59 that he was teaching at the synagogue and they know nothing of the midnight crossing in which Jesus stood on water and transported his disciples to Capernaum. The the crowd knows nothing of this. Now in verse 25, that's revealed because they ask Jesus, how did you arrive? How did you get here? But but look at Jesus. Look at what he answers in verse 26. He, he, doesn't tell, he doesn't tell them how he gets there. He doesn't talk about the midnight crossing. He doesn't talk about calming the sea or, or getting in the boat and, and riding across uh, the sea with, with his disciples in an instant. Instead, he goes right to the heart of why the crowd is actually seeking him out. Jesus knows. He sees right into their heart and he speaks right into the issue at hand. He says, you don't care about my travel itinerary. You're looking for me because your belly's got full. You want me because you're really focused on yourselves. You want me for what I do for you. You want to be king and you want me to serve you. Right here, we see something about ourselves. We see something about our own hearts. Because of our sinfulness, we express our neediness and our desires for satisfaction in in selfish ways. We pursue what we want. We are led by our bellies, whether or not it's actual food or just the desires and the cravings that we have within us. We, we let our bellies become our GPS, guiding us around. We can be so sure we know exactly what we need and what we want is exactly what we need. I have three kids, as Larry was saying earlier, and it is amazing to me that from the womb, children do not need to be told what they want, and they automatically assume that they know what is best for them. I mean, you've been breathing for like a year, and you're telling me you know better? Yes, Dad, chocolate is better than the green stuff on my plate. I'm sure that will lead me to more health. Yes, Dad, I I believe that not cleaning my room will teach me respect. It will teach me responsibility. So I'm just going to pass my day away in unending play. Sound like a good deal, Dad? Because I think I know what's, what's best for me. It, it, it's, it's axiomatic. We are born with this innate sense that we know what is right and what we're going to do is the right thing. And our bellies, our, our desires, our cravings, our wants, our, our whims and our wishes, even our lusts lead us. Jesus stands before them, stands before us this morning. He says, you don't know what you're doing. 
you pursue things that will not last. Nothing in this life will ultimately satisfy you. A winning season for your team, whether it be from Washington or Baltimore, accolades, all the Apple or Samsung devices in the world, a great marriage, great kids, a great job, great food, great sex, great friends, respect, early retirement with a big bank account, none of it will ultimately satisfy. It will perish. And so it is foolish to pursue what will perish. It is foolish, therefore, to be led by our bellies. So as Jesus is correcting the crowd, there is a great interchange then that takes place. The crowd doesn't get this yet. And Jesus tells the crowd not to work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. That's in verse 27. And they say, okay, then we'll do God's works. What are they? And Jesus says, believe. Believe in the one that God has sent to you. And they respond, okay, good. If you want us to believe, then do something. Give us a sign, Jesus. Okay, this is a crowd who have seen and heard about Jesus. You've been going through the book of John. So the things we know in the book of John up to this point, they know. They know about the water to wine miracle. Okay? They know about the healings of Bethesda. They know about the official son who was healed in Capernaum where they're having this very conversation. They know about these things. Jesus has, he he has ammo. He could have told the disciples, tell them of the midnight water walking teleportation event that just occurred. You tell them, you tell them how, how awesome and satisfying I am. He, he has the opportunity. And for goodness sake, how is it that they don't recall that just a few hours before they were hungry and Jesus took a few loaves and a few fishes and fed 5,000 people? Do a sign? What are you, crazy? What more signs could he do? Jesus doesn't engage this. Again, he cuts right to the heart. See, the issue isn't that they need a sign to believe. The issue is that they're blinded by self. They didn't need evidence. They needed new eyes. Friends, you and I so often don't need evidence. We need new eyes. We don't need new evidence. God, answer this prayer request. Then I know you're faithful. We need new eyes to see the faithfulness of God in our present life. I don't know about you, but I I find that my appetites can be so insatiably blinding at times. I continually forget the overwhelmingly dazzling display of God's grace in my life because I'm fixated on that one thing that I think I need right now. And maybe you would say there's one thing that I think I need right now. And perhaps it's blinding you to the amazing displays of God's grace to you in his life. See, these crowds were legitimately hungry. These are, these are good desires that they had, real needs that they had. Jesus is not chastising them for being hungry or even for, for them coming to him to, to seek food for, for him to meet their physical need. But he is driving a perspective. He's saying, my father meets needs. And more than just physical needs, my father meets the need that we have for life. He, he sent the true bread from heaven so that we would have life. We need to hear this passage. We need to hear this passage over and over and over again because we are like the crowd. We all forget that the Father has done so much 
for us. He has been good to us. He has, he has given us all that we have. And in fact, he has given us the true bread from heaven. He sent his own son to be crushed on a bloody cross to guarantee that we have all that we need, starting with reconciliation to God. The gospel, the gospel message of Jesus Christ is the source of all we need. And at that place, the true bread from heaven was given to us to nourish us and to satisfy not only the greatest need we have, but to be a guarantee that God will satisfy all of our needs in Jesus Christ. So when we find ourselves in discontent, it is then nothing short of rejecting God. When we find ourselves forgetting who Jesus is and what he's done for us, it is saying, my satisfaction comes from circumstantial contentedness. God, I won't be satisfied until you change these circumstances in my life. And we look away from the cross. And we look away from the Father who sent his Son. And we look away from the the many blessings that he's given us in our life. See, we need this reminder because not only will this life not satisfy us and not only will not even the blessings of God ultimately satisfy us except for the blessing of relationship with him, but the material blessings that God has given us, they won't ultimately satisfy us. We need this reminder because we so quickly forget and turn away and we turn away in discontent. But God in his kindness to us is reminding us that we've been created for something that's lasting, something that's eternal. When, when we find ourselves dissatisfied with the things of this life, God is actually being kind to us and we need new eyes to see that he's showing us that our wants and our desires are often too small. It, it's the kindness of God to not complete our satisfaction in stuff or in circumstances. It's his kindness to give us a sense of holy discontentment that the things of this life will not satisfy us because they will perish. It is the kindness of God to move our attention away from the stuff of life and to Jesus Christ himself so that we would be satisfied in the true bread of heaven alone. Because he unlike the stuff of this world, will not lose his shine. He will, he will never fade and our joy will never fail to be complete when it is cast wholly on Jesus Christ, our beautiful Savior. So what is it that you want that you don't have? What, what circumstance this morning do you want to change? What suffering do you want to see lift? Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not saying that we don't pray, that we don't seek the blessing of the Lord. Instead, I'm saying this, pause for a moment in your life today and turn to the Lord and say, this life, this stuff, it will never satisfy me. Thank you, Lord God, that that stuff won't satisfy me because you have given me the true bread of heaven. You have given me your son, Jesus Christ, and he alone will satisfy. So strip me, O God, of the, the unending pursuit of, of the things of this world as my satisfaction and cause me to depend on Jesus and Jesus alone. Don't give me the things I desire, Lord, if it will lead me away from trust in Jesus Christ and, and being satisfied in my soul in him and him alone. That's a, that's a godly prayer. 
And then turn and look at the blessings that you have been given with new eyes and say, God, I I know I I don't have this one thing. I know that this isn't going right. I I know that this isn't the way I want it. But what I do have, Lord, is your goodness and kindness in in this area, in this area, in this area, in this area. And and, and I venture to, to bet you that if you took some time, you could make a list longer than you would have enough ink in your home to write telling the goodness of God. Telling of his kindness. Let us not be a people who are satisfied with the perishing food of this world, but be satisfied in Christ alone. Now, Jesus doesn't end here. And this is the second point. Excuse me. He he continues to press us and, and to push us to be satisfied by the true bread of heaven, which never perishes. That's the second point. Be satisfied by the true bread of heaven, which never perishes. Now, when the crowd <clears throat> was offered bread that never perished, the crowd, or crowd responds like this. Yeah, we'll take that. That's, that's them thinking like, we just struck the lottery. We're, we're going to be living on Easy Street. We're never going to have to labor for bread again. I mean... <clears throat> This meant that they could just chill out and live the good life. They, I'm not going to have to work anymore. I just got bread after bread after bread. I don't know. You'd probably get sick of eating bread. You wouldn't get sick of eating raviolis, of course, but, <laughs> but bread they might get, get sick of. But they, they, they heard this and they were like, how, how good would this be to have an unending supply of bread? Now, the cra- crowd is thinking about baked dough, but Jesus makes an entirely shocking statement. He says, I am the bread of life. Jesus says, I can meet your every need and bring you true satisfaction. That's part of what he's saying. He's saying that he, in verse 33, has come down from heaven to give life to the world. Now, as shocking as those statements are for a man to stand before you and say, I could be your true satisfaction unendingly, the true bread that will never, will, will never perish, and that I came down from heaven to meet your every need and to give you life, In this world, as shocking as those statements are, a hush would have fallen over the crowd when he said that. Because what he was saying was ultimately, I am Yahweh. I am God standing before you. God in the flesh is before you. See, I am is is the name of God. It's the specific special name given to the eternal creator, to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do you remember when Moses asked God for his name, how God replied in in Exodus chapter three? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to this people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. You don't just go around calling yourself I am. That claim should not pass across the lips of mortals. In Hebrew, God's name, Yahweh, it expresses that God's existence is within himself. He needs nothing to sustain or supply him. He always was and always will be. In fact, everything that ever was, is, or will be finds their life and existence in him. This is the claim that Jesus is making as he's standing before a hungry crowd that want to get their belly filled with some baked dough. He he is eternal. He is all sufficient. He is independent. And we are not. The Jews knew The Jews knew they were fully dependent on God. They they understood 
that God was their life, their sustenance. Their very land was a place where they would enter the promised land and, and find God needed to sustain them in order for them to flourish and be a people, to be his people. So they knew that they rested on God. So for Jesus to claim to be, I am, to be God, to be Yahweh, that's a claim that he is self-existent, that he is self-sustaining, and that he is able to give life. It is him saying that he is God, that he is equal with God, and that he is one with God. There is no doubt that Jesus was claiming to be Yahweh. Jesus makes six more of these statements. You'll get to them as you study in the book of John. Six more I am statements. And each one of them reveals a unique aspect of his ministry. Here, he's saying, I am, Yahweh in the flesh is standing before you. And I am is the bread of life. So what does he mean by that? What does it mean when he claims to be the bread of life? Well, bread was the most common staple of the ancient Near East diet. Every meal probably would have included bread. It was almost as necessary for life as water and oxygen. Bread was vital for sustenance. The, the, the scene is set in, that is going on right here is set in parallel, parallel with the Exodus account. Jews at Passover would have been reminded that God had provided for them by sending bread from heaven, manna. And, and they, they owed their lives and they owed their existence to God's supernatural sustenance in the desert wandering. Now, Jesus is pointing to himself as the real manna, the real bread of life. Now, the manna that fell in the wilderness, if you remember your Old Testament, as they were wandering, it was a gift of grace. They were grateful for it to a certain extent. They fell into discontent, but, but it was mere bread. It rotted. It began to stink. Remember, except for on the, uh, on the Sabbath day, they weren't supposed to collect too much. You know, don't try and co collect enough for tomorrow because it would rot out and get filled with maggots. And the next day, more would fall and they would, they would collect new, new sustenance each day. New grace would fall from heaven each day, except for on the Sabbath day when they were to rest. So Jesus is saying to them, I am manna that is daily sustenance for you. And he's making clear to them that the true bread from heaven is the only way that they can have life. And this isn't the kind of life that the manna in the, in the wilderness was. It will not rot. It will not perish. This is eternal life. Life that per perseveres into eternity with God himself. So in one way, we can understand that Jesus is saying all things exist by him when he says, I am the bread of life. He's demonstrated this by showing his authority over the material world, by materializing bread, by, um, by uh, multiplying uh, fish, by calming the seas, by, by later in John um, showing this by giving physical life to a dead man. Yes, we can, we can understand that, but, but we should also see Jesus here in this statement saying that he provides unending spiritual life, eternal life. Our deepest need isn't bread. Our deepest need is life, spiritual life. And only I am, only Jesus can give life because Yahweh alone has life within himself. Jesus has life within himself. He does not just fill our bellies. He gives us life and life for eternity. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you need to know you cannot be satisfied by anything, anyone, or anywhere in the world except for in relationship to Jesus Christ. Jesus is 
our bread for our wilderness of this life and our wandering in this life. Only Jesus can sustain us and his provision will never fade. See, people came to Jesus looking to have their bellies filled and we should seek Jesus, but not just to get stuff from him. Jesus isn't a genie in the Bible to kind of rub the Bible. Jesus pops out. What would you like me to do for you today? Okay, I'll go back in the Bible and I'll, I'll wait until you need me again. Or you know, when, you, when you pray a desperate prayer, then I'll show up again. No, Jesus is ongoing daily sustenance for us. He must be our everything. We must understand that he is the Lord who will transform every area of our life. That the cravings and the desires that we have that are apart from him, unholiness, and it's called sinfulness as it is called, that leads us to death. And that he desires to transform every one of our desires into life, into joy, into peace. And that is found rooted and connected to him and him alone. So he's not so cruel as to, like a genie, just give us our wishes and, and give us a good job and a healthy family and obedient kids and a warm house and then leave us spiritually dead. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, Jesus is not here to work for you so that you have comfort and ease. He is here to give you life and to truly satisfy you. So do you have life? Have you, have you looked to the true bread of heaven and looked away from the unsatisfying things of this world? Don't let your belly lead you and the cravings of your belly be the one that guides you in this life. Instead, turn away and follow and trust Jesus as your soul satisfaction. See, Jesus says whoever comes to him, they will be satisfied. They will, they will not hunger. They will not thirst for life. The things that you're living out as an unbeliever will not lead you to satisfaction. Jesus alone will lead you to satisfaction and he will not cast you out no matter what you think you have done in your life that makes you unworthy to be near Jesus. He says himself here in this passage, anyone who comes to him will not be cast out. There is, there is no heart vile enough not to be cleaned by a drop of the blood of the Savior, Jesus Christ. He is life. So how do we get this life? Simply believe. Is that not amazing? Is that not shocking? What, what works must we do to be in your will, to be in the will of God? What works must we do, Jesus? Believe. Believe. Believe in the one who has been sent. Believe that Jesus is the only way, that his life, that his death, that his resurrection is the only hope that we have, that he paid for our sins and his resurrection from the grave opens the door for our life. And if you believe that and you turn from sin, from the rotten bread of sin, Jesus will satisfy your deepest needs. You will have life. Now, for those who have life in Christ, how do we continue on in life? How do we feed on the true bread of heaven? How does this message land not just on our hearts as like, oh, that's good. I've heard that before and that's good. It's meaningful. How does it actually transform us? How does it cause us to walk in such a way as to have increasing life in our life? It's by persevering in our trust in him. That's how we eat the bread of life. In daily trusting in the midst of life difficult, life's difficulties that he is our soul's satisfaction. When your employment situation just doesn't seem to change, when your coworkers seem to be hostile, when your relationships are broken, when your bank accounts are drained, 
when you look at the state of the United States of America and the direction that we're heading, when you, when you look at your own life and you see sickness, loss of children, loss of family members, loss of the dream of having a, a spouse or children of your own, when you look at these things and you say, Lord, how can I be satisfied in this life? Persevering and trusting that Jesus makes no mistakes. That Jesus himself will satisfy us even when the circumstances of life seem not to satisfy us. See, the bread of life doesn't just meet our physical needs. It doesn't just meet the desires and wants we have. He, he goes deeper and he meets us by having deep spiritual communion with us in the midst of life's hardships. See, at times we just want our bellies filled. We seek Jesus to grant our wishes, thinking that getting what we want will bring us comfort. It will bring us joy and it will bring us peace. We're like little kids, like my little kids. We just, we just want, want, want. And we think we know what's best for us. Now, he does grant those things often, but not always in the way that we demand. Is that not true? Some of you are in the midst of situations like that now in your life. And he promises that he will satisfy our needs by granting us deep dependence on him alone. In fact, he will cause things in our lives to fall apart at times. He will say no to us at times, not to be harsh. It's so that we will trust in him and in him alone. And we will cling to him and him alone. And as we depend on him, our life flourishes. When you read this chapter, John chapter 6, and we didn't read all the way to the end, at the beginning of this chapter, there's a crowd numbered in the thousands, at least 5,000 males. Some guess that the number is um, seeking him is, is as high as 20,000 people, but there's at least 5,000 people there. By the end of the chapter, Jesus is talking to 12 men, and one of them is going to betray him. By the time he gets to his cross, he is there alone. See, the crowds have left him. When they realize that following and depending on Jesus alone takes you over difficult roads and not into a spiritual Disneyland, people do depart from him. We will be tempted to depart from him. The road to deep spiritual satisfaction in Jesus at times, be prepared. It is marred with trial. It is marred with mocking. There is hunger. There is persecution. It is not always easy, but when our hope is in him, in him alone, it is satisfying. See, the crowds, they came seeking bread. They came seeking healing. They came seeking a king. And he will deliver all of these things in due time. He will, he will satisfy us and cause us to persevere. But sometimes that comes through conflict, unemployment, loss of reputation, even the loss of children and family members. So in that area of your life where you have desires, no, no doubt good desires, do you know that Jesus has custom designed your trials and your struggles so that you would be driven to deeper dependence in him as you trust and believe in him as the only way your soul can be satisfied? It would be unloving of the Savior if he were allowed to allow us to trust in anything other than him. I had a conversation this week with a, a woman. She's a newer believer. She's living with her boyfriend. Has been for seven years. He's recently divorced, or had, was recently divorced when they started living together. And she's saying, 
how can I leave him? How can I not live in the same house with him? How do I, I just, I just don't get like how, how, how can I be without him? He seems like a gift from God to me, but it does seem wrong that we're not married and he doesn't want to get married. And as we're talking and I was encouraging her to have the courage to, to stand in the truth of God's word and not her own whims and desires. One of the things that came very clear is that he is not a believer and that by her staying in that home, she is allowing a, a barrier, a veil for what it means to be a true believer to live like. And, and, and I said, do you want to just go through the rest of your life with this man, not as your husband, living in your house, not having any conflict with him, not, not risking the chance of losing him, and then him going into eternity not knowing Jesus Christ? Or do you love him enough that if God's calling you to leave him and step out of that, that home, you would do it so that he might find life? Friends, that's the kind of sacrifice that we're called to at times. Real hard stuff. She loves this man. He's a tender, compassionate man that loves her. As far as, a, as an unbeliever can be in his capacity to truly love her, he truly loves her. Though he doesn't love her more than he loves himself. The question is, will we love Christ more than we love ourselves? Will we follow him and depend on him and trust in him no matter what the circumstances of life? See, we, we are powerless to change our circumstances, but he is not. And he is not foolish and he's not unable to bring us to a place where we will find the most blessing, even if through a pit, even if through a valley at times. So Christian brothers and sisters, eat the true bread of life daily trust in his perfect ways. See, it's, it's, it, is, it is easy to hear this word and say, yeah, I'm, I'm doing okay with that. But ask yourself, what is it that you want that you're not getting in your life where God is calling you to trust in him and, and, and to, to eat the bread of life means perhaps sacrifice, perhaps difficulty, perhaps saying, God, your perfect design is better than, than me actually wanting this thing right now in this area of my life. Because the, the one who lovingly compels us to depend on him also provides the strength to continue to persevere in him and he will bring blessing as we trust in him. He will cause us to persevere in our trust and he will cause us as believers to find our satisfaction in him alone. Jesus' mission delivered by God the Father is this, verse 39. He says, this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that has, he has given me. So friend, as you're walking through this life, and as you're walking through difficult circumstances and, and having to make choices that are hard choices, but you know that the end result is, is God will be glorified, even if it means pain to you physically, spiritually, emotionally, however it might be, know that the loving Savior, I am the true bread of life, stands before you and says, not one will be lost. You will not be lost. Every trial, every difficulty, every plea for mercy and for help, it's, it's like a boat in which, the, in which the Savior enters in with us and stands with us and calms the sea around us and then delivers us safely to the shore, to the shore of heaven. He himself goes with us, causing us to persevere. He will deliver us by his strength. What do we need to be delivered? What do we need to do to be delivered? We simply need to put arm, out our arms and grasp his grace. There is nothing more to do. He is the deliverer. 
He is the sustainer. Our trust in him means simply following him, listening to his voice and following behind him. We, we need not earn his approval anymore. He is the sustainer who approves of us and walks with us. The I am, the great I am, the bread of life stands before us and he will bring us into the promised land of eternity. So now as we close, let, let's be reminded of where Jesus is leading. See, this life can be a bumpy ride and we can walk through dark quarters at times. My wife and I, we recently had a getaway and we were talking about some particular weaknesses in our marriage. After 17 years of marriage, it just so happens that we aren't perfectly satisfied in marriage. Go figure. There are areas of my life, my ministry, my parenting, that I can say the same thing. I'm not perfectly satisfied in them. In fact, there is almost no area of life, there is no area of life where I say I would find complete and total satisfaction in and of myself. But the satisfaction of this life is found in Jesus Christ. And and he gives us the opportunity each and every day to turn our attention away from self and to the one who is leading us. Though this life is not meant to ultimately satisfy us, there is one who is leading us who does satisfy. The bread of life gives us life and causes us to persevere. So not one will be lost. Everyone who comes to him, none will be cast out and everyone on the last day will be raised. We will reach the promised land, even though through trial, even though through difficulty, even through, through things that are great joys in this life that, that perish and don't ultimately satisfy us. He will stand with, with us because only Jesus, Jesus satisfies. Let's pray together. Our Lord God, we thank you that you alone satisfy. And Lord, this word is, um, it is good for our souls. It is good to hear that you alone satisfy. Lord, my words are a feeble attempt, but your words are great and mighty. So I pray your words would stick to each and every heart, Lord, that, that your name would be lifted up and the great I am would stand over each and every one of us, Lord, that you would go with each and every one of us in such a way to satisfy us in you, that we'd be unsatisfied with the things of this world that perish and satisfied in you and you alone so that your name would be lifted up in our lives. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen.